Who's gonna fight for friends and freedom, not talk? He's the biggest, baddest, cunningest man I know. Who protects the icy tundra, not talk? Battle in northeast, up there in the snow. When Unalog starts trouble, he'll punch him in the mouth. He's not talk, the hero of the south. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Avatar Returns. I'm your host, Paul Smith of the Gobbledy Geek Podcast, and joining me, as always, are... I'm Eric Sipple. And I'm Arlo Wiley. And each week, we discuss two to four episodes of the Nickelodeon animated series Avatar The Last Airbender and its sequel series The Legend of Korra. Eric and I have seen both series before, but this is Arlo's first trip to the world of Avatar, so there will be spoilers, but only up through the episodes that we're discussing tonight. Uh, and this week, uh, book two continues... We get back to Republic City with uh, chapters 205, Peacekeepers, and 206, The Sting. But before we get to that, apparently Eric has some uh, some surprise banter to spring on us. So yesterday, um, I fired a gun for the first time. Oh my god, okay. Wow. In fact, not only... So, I, so my, my other my friend was has gotten a, like a, a pistol, a Glock, I don't know. 20 something, 19. I don't know. I don't know. Oh my God. It's a Glock. And, and he got it for home protection, but he doesn't really know how to use it yet. Like he got it and he wants some lessons on it. And our other friend, these are two people that I game with regularly, um, is, is totally like, uh, I, I, I'm just going to say this and I mean this, you know, affectionately, but he's a total fucking gun nut. So he has lots and lots of guns, but he's also super responsible and knows how to use them really well. So Dave was like, I want, I want, Kevin to show me how to use the gun. So I said, like, you mind if I tag along? So they, he gave Dave lessons on how to, you know, how to load it, whatever. And then he gave me the same lessons, how to load the gun, how to hold the gun, what the grip is like, whatever. So I fired a pistol, um, a couple of times in an indoor range. And it did probably about, I don't know, 12 or so shots, all things told. I got one three shot grouping that wasn't the worst thing ever. So <laughs> that was good. And then he said, do you want to see what it feels like to fire an AR-15? And so I said, okay, sure. Okay, so you, we went you've, uh, you've beat me. I, I was going to comment on my history with shooting firearms, but I've never fired an AR-15. So I, I, it, I went right from zero to 60 on that. It was like a Glock and then here's an assault rifle. And so we went out to the outdoor range and... Um, and he showed me how to fire that. And it was interesting in a lot of ways that like... The AR-15, because of the way it's built, actually, like, has less shocking recoil than a pistol. Like, a pistol is, like, not a crazy amount of recoil. Like, I learned that it's not a ludicrous amount of recoil. It's just more of a shock. And actually, you over-anticipate it more than it's actually that bad. Um, but the AR-15, you barely feel because there's, like, springs in it and it's against your shoulder and whatever. And so I, I fired that three times. I have no idea if I hit anything because the target was really far away. And I, yeah, I, don't, I don't know what the fuck I'm looking for. So... Um, so I have no idea what I hit on the last one, but I did. And more surprisingly, I found that learning to shoot accurately at a range is a thing I think I would actually like to do. Hmm. I, I think I, I think I got bit by the like the skill aspect of the target shooting thing. Like I won't actually own a gun because I don't feel safe with a gun. And I was nervous being round guns the entire time because they could kill me. But the pure skill aspect of like trying to hit a target and like learning the way it works. I really fucking dug. I will tell you, I have never had the pleasure of shooting at an indoor range. Um, I always wanted to, but uh, when I was 
when I was a teenager, I had a friend who was a gun nut. His entire family were gun nuts. And this is back before uh, it was it was common practice to be nervous about gun nuts. But um, so we went out shooting at outdoor ranges a lot. And uh, I fired all sorts of things. Um, not quite. I fired shotguns and rifles and handguns. And uh, I never fired any um uh, like automatic weapons, no automatic rifles or anything like that, assault rifles. But um, uh, I had a concealed carry permit for a few years, never actually owned a gun to go with it. Um, and I think at this point in my life, I'm in the same place you are, Eric. Um, I, I know my wife does not approve of guns at all, so even if I wanted to own a gun for home protection, it wouldn't happen. But uh, I don't think that I do anymore. I think I'm past that. But I... I remember the sort of appeal, the, like you said, the, the skill element of it, the targeting element of it. Um, and I always wanted to do like an indoor range. Unfortunately, like I live in the South now, I live in Birmingham. There's lots of opportunities. Like they just built a new gun range mere blocks away from my house. So it is certainly a thing that I have the opportunity to do. Uh, but in this environment, uh, of, of the dirty South. I, I don't think I would be <laughs> comfortable with it. If I was living someplace a little more, you know, safe and sane, maybe I might uh, explore options for going to an indoor range. But I think I, f I, I'm more along the lines of Pam. I am, I, I'm very anti-gun. The idea of even like holding a gun in potentially shooting it really bothers me. I, I don't think I, I don't think I personally could do it. Maybe part of that's just fear from never having really been around guns before. I seriously think the closest I have ever come to someone with a gun is just like a, you know, a police officer that I pass in the street. I don't think I've ever actually, I've never been around someone who has had a gun drawn uh, to shoot it, even for target practice. So that's pro I, I I'm sure that is part of it, but I, I don't know, man. I guns really deeply bother me, which is funny considering all of the the media I consume that uh, that feature you know gun toting heroes. Have you ever leapt through the air whilst firing two guns? Uh, no, that I might be into as long as there are doves <laughs> flying in the background. But you have to do it in slow motion. You have to be able to do That's it in slow true. motion. I I have to break the laws of physics for that one. Yeah, I, I would. I would recommend Arlo. If you ever decide that it's something you are interested in trying, find a friend who's super responsible. It makes a big difference. Um, being with someone who, um, as much as he is like, I mean, the in his bag with the Glock was a FN FAL FN Fal. I don't know how you pronounce it, which is basically a pistol that shoots like rifle rounds. So the dude is like, I love my guns, but. He's also like absurdly responsible with like going through it. Like he, he actually brought like a plastic gun that has the same weight as a real gun to show me how to grip it and like what to do, what stance to take, how it would feel, all that stuff. And that made a big difference for me feeling a lot safer because I knew he wasn't going to do anything ludicrous um, or try to show off. And that made a big difference. So if you ever do it, that that helps. But I also understand how you feel because, like, I mean, I'm I'm 37 and I never fired a gun, or even held a gun until yeah. this year. So see, see the friend that I had that uh, that tried to get me into guns 
that was a gun nut was not entirely responsible. I mean, he was responsible enough that, uh, to the best of my knowledge, he's still alive and has never injured himself. I, I haven't spoken to him in decades, but, um, yeah, he is exactly the kind of guy that would go to a gun range and, and show off, try to pull trick shots and all that stuff. So Crazy. Not not the right kind of friend to get you into guns. But anyways. So I'm, I am now officially a Republican. I'm oh, geez. All I'm right. kidding. Well, I'm, I, oh, I, gosh. I, I, it was a, it was a good insight into like, into what that culture's a little like. And I, 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 I empathize with the, with some of it. I, even if I'm, I have, um, you know, my gun control feelings, but shooting at a target was pretty fun. I won't lie. Not going to pretend like that wasn't fun. So, I've played laser tag before. Does that count? <laughs> go play paintball. If you want to get into this conversation. I play, I was, I was an ace at those time crisis games. <laughs> Time Crisis, oh my god. Oh, man. Time Crisis wow. was the shit. Are you implying that Time Crisis was not the shit? Because I wasn't you were implying wrong. it. I was not implying it. <laughs> he, was, he was just <laughs> saying it. <laughs> there was no implication at all. Oh, Eric. All right. I don't know if there's a segue to go from guns to the show. Although the first chapter we're going to discuss is called Peacekeepers. Yeah, there we go. That's, think, that's not bad. I think maybe there's a connection there. I'm I'm not going to bother to make it. So the first chapter we're talking about, chapter two hundred five, peacekeepers. Arlo, you're the you're the first timer. You're the newbie. So take us into it. For me, the most notable thing about these two episodes is that Cora is sort of afterthought might be the wrong word because clearly there's stuff is going on with her and there's a big cliffhanger with her. But she is almost beside the point in these two episodes. The, these episodes... Certainly the second one. Certainly the second one, yeah. Uh, she's, she's definitely in Peacekeepers and things happen with her. But I, in my mind, these are like the, the Mako, Bolin, Asami episodes. Mm-hmm. There's not a, lot of, uh, not a lot of Korra going on. That was, that was interesting because I, we got to see how the show works with the lead temporarily out of the way. Um, but focusing on this episode, Cora is definitely uh, in this episode. I, I think it's interesting, as much as I am not particularly enamored of the uh, Korra-Mako relationship drama, and then like Asami gets dra- dragged back into it in the second one. As much as I'm not into that stuff, it wa- I will admit it is interesting that you know Korra has sort of become an activist now. You know, she's she's leading a peaceful protest uh, of the Southerners against uh, Unalak and the Northern Tribe at the beginning, and Mako is now. A uh, an authority figure. He's now a man of the law, and it was interesting to see how they butt heads. And like that's that's what drags out all of these, all of the underlying tension in their relationship, and finally puts the kibosh on it. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, it's these are definitely Mako's episodes. Even the first one, which is um, Mako has the character arc, I guess. In the first one, even though Korra has, like we said, it's sort of become the um, anti-establishment figure on this issue uh, and, and certainly drives 
Mako to some decisions, but even the first episode is very much about Mako going, coming to a decision that then leads him to another decision, which is breaking up with the Avatar, which leads to wonderful humor later I, on. I, I think another interesting thing about all this is that, so you said Korra has sort of become the anti-establishment figure. Um, both the establishment and the anti-establishment movement both don't come off looking particularly good in these episodes. Mako, who's sort of like, yeah, he he is, like I said, he is an authority figure now, but he's sort of in between. He's the only one who's paying attention to what's going on because he has interests in both camps. He's the only one that sees what's actually happening. Uh, I've been, I've liked Mako since the beginning, um, but he certainly was, in, in the first season, he certainly was sort of the... Um, he got the usual female role in one of these stories. He was the love interest who, for the most part, was kind of just there to be defined as the love interest. He was the he was the prize that Cora <laughs> thought she was reaching for or whatever. He didn't really have much of his own story uh, in season one. Um, and I so I feel like this this episode, Peacekeepers, I think, is where he actually kind of he finally becomes his own sort of viable character i feel like this this is the episode where i think he develops his own agency or at least potential for his own agency um because he um he is the one that is paying attention he's the one like i hadn't thought of it this way before you said that arlo that both sides of the equation don't you know kind of come off they're both pretty myopic um i i guess on the the uh, authority side, because I personally think that President Raiko was justified in his, uh, like, saying, you know, he couldn't just rush to send troops into a, a civil right. war. Right, though, when we then see Raiko behind closed doors talking with uh, with Beifong, he knows the Northerners did it. Uh, well... But but they did. well anyways who, who but they did. you're right they, they they didn't but yeah but I mean as far as we know or if we if we believe Mako's uh, theory I I guess it's Beifong who comes off on the on the quote unquote good guys side it's Beifong who comes off off looking the worst not because she necessarily does anything wrong but because she is the one in these two episodes her role is to be the one who just consistently tells Mako that he's an idiot. He's a beat cop, not a... Like, her role on the in these two episodes is to say, get out of here, go back and do your job, or whatever. Um, that's pretty much all she does for these two. Um, but the, the whole force kind of looks like a joke, because maybe maybe Beifong would have taken Mako more seriously if those two uh, assholes with their desk jobs or whatever had, hadn't, you know, told Mako to go in right then at the worst possible time. Oh yeah. No, I mean, they were, they were Lou and Who are you talking about? Uh, Patty Considine's character from Hot Fuzz. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it's, the, it's the, it's the, it's the mustache guys from, from Hot Fuzz. Totally. It's gotta be a reference to them, right? I, you know, honestly, it's been so long since I've seen Hot Fuzz. I, I don't know. I've actually never so seen Hot Fuzz, so I'll take your word oh for it. Oh my god! You wow. I know. Morons. No, right. so there's in Hot Fuzz at the local station that where where he gets put. The uh, Patty Considine is one of them, and I can't think of the other one plays that play these two, the detectives basically, and they're complete assholes and they're morons, and they both have mustaches, and it leads in fact to a joke where they're drinking beer. And like like beer foam sticks to Patty Constantine's character's mustache, and um, Simon Pegg goes, "You have a mustache." And he goes, "Yeah, we know." 
But anyways, they're obsessed with their mustaches. So they have some of the best jokes in the entire movie. Like there's one visual gag with them that's just phenomenal. But anyways, I'm watching this and I'm like, oh my god, it's the mustache cop characters from from um, Hot Fuzz. I, I just like that Gong named named his uh her Lou. I think it's Lou. Maybe <laughs> named his uh mustache Black Beauty. Yes, I like that. They, they, um, they're they're pretty pretty horrible cops. I mean, you're right. I guess it, it does put. It does show the the police force not in the best light. I guess that's all in order to give Mako an opportunity to stand out. But so I've I've mentioned in last week's episode that I'm not at the moment as she stands at the moment. I'm not really the biggest Korra fan um, because her her character arc for the moment seems to be that she is just the, the obnoxious melodramatic teenager who stomps her feet and yells at anyone who tells her that she's wrong. Um, and I, in this episode in particular, I appreciate that, uh, that Mako, you know, tells Cora when she's making terrible choices and that he dumps her ass when she throws a tantrum in his place of employment. Yeah. When she like air bends his desk out of the way. Yeah. That. Yeah, that she did. She did not look great in that moment. No, but she's totally she's totally got a point though. I mean, Ma, it's, okay. So here's the problem. It's not really that Mako got to a position where he had to tell his boss what was going on, which is kind of understandable. But he also didn't tell her that he had done right. it. Well, it's I'm like, not. I'm not he, sure. He, as it plays out, I'm not sure he had an opportunity to tell her because she was off doing that when he told the president. And then the president went to stop her. So it's not, I mean, he didn't, I, I don't think he had he a chance not, to say, oh, by the way. He was not trying. He was hanging out at the police station. And when she showed up, he was like, oh, no. <laughs> what, what happened? I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know. I'm, she, I'm, she I'm Team Mako on this. Um, I, I really, I, I, I just feel, I just feel <laughs> like Cora is, is not being shown in the best light at this moment. And I, you know. I, who knows what her arc is going to be going forward? But I'm just saying right now. It, you know what her arc is going to be going forward. Don't don't be coy. <laughs> okay, Arlo doesn't know what her arc is going to be going forward. But at the moment, I just feel like her 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 status is that she just constantly, uh, um, you know, dismisses anybody who disagrees with her about anything. She huffs and puffs if anybody tells her that she is incorrect about something i mean mako had the whole line about what is it what is it with you and sides <laughs> yeah i i mean she's definitely don't get me wrong mako actually makes in some ways like the right professional call but he is clear i mean i think what's interesting about this is that they are both choosing their jobs over each other and it makes them bad for a relationship with each other because two people who have who are married to their jobs effectively and those jobs come into conflict this is exactly what's going to happen and so I, I, and Cora is certainly the hot-headed one of the two of them, but, and and don't get me wrong, Mako is absolutely. I'm not when I say that I, I think Cora has a point. I, I actually don't. I'm not anti-Mako in this, and I, I really think that Mako comes into his own big time in these two episodes. He was sort of the grouchy, brooding guy mm-hmm. for a good chunk of time, and in getting to make that choice and being like by the story allowing him to make the choice to choose his job as a cop over his relationship it does finally allow him to really like grow as a character and get into some really awesome stuff. So I'm, I'm behind it, but I, but I, course, I understand where Cora is coming from. I mean, Cora had that, had that set up. I mean, Iroh was going to take that fleet out and fuck up some northerners <laughs> and, and it was taken care of 
until she got Ryko involved. So I get where she's coming from. I'd be pretty pissed off if I were her too. It's her homeland. Yeah, it's but oh yeah. I mean that when she when she almost breaks down saying that her family is going to be destroyed or whatever. You know, for for a moment I'm like. Okay, yes, it's good to see, because her voice kind of cracks there. It sounds like maybe for just a second she's thinking about maybe crying. And, I'm, and I was like, all right, it's good to see sort of the the pain side of this, not just the anger, not just the lashing out. But, um, I mean, if you think about it, if, if Iroh, uh, if the president hadn't caught them and if Iroh had taken the fleet out, and gotten involved like that would have had some serious repercussions. I think, I think it worked out for the best this way because if Iro had taken the fleet out and gotten involved in a, in a, in a war without the president's authority, um, that I don't think it would have worked out well for General Iro. But yeah, I mean, it would it would have uh, I mean, it would have worked out better for the Northerners. I mean, the Southerners maybe, but other than that, maybe in the short term, who knows? But um, but was, and but, and, I, and, uh, and Mako does have his moments. He definitely, even though I'm I'm ninety seven and a half percent on Mako's side in any of the conflicts he has with uh, Korra, uh, he certainly does not come out looking well in his interactions with Bolin most of the time. He's he's kind of a dick. He's very dismissive to Bolin. Although Bolin is also a giant dick to him, so. <laughs> Everyone well, is kind of being a dick to each other. But I think that was in deliberate response to Mako being a dick. Well, like he was he, okay. It was a deliberate response, but he was also doing it in a hot tub that he just self-installed in their house. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, this is true. But he has to look at, bo- he has to maintain his he has to maintain his instrument, Eric. His instrument. Yeah. My instrument. Oh, um, my instrument. Spe- speaking of um of Bolin, he actually this thus kicks off one of the most fascinating plot lines in the Avatar verse, in my opinion. Um, Bolin as star of both serial and propaganda film. Yes, I. Love, this is my favorite part of this season so far. I, I love the war propaganda element of this. Because I, can I be honest about something? So far, the overarching plot of this season is not pulling me in. I really do not care about the, nor- the northern tribe versus the southern tribe. I don't care. To to be fair, they haven't given us very much of it. Um, no, and not. Much, I mean, it's like we're, it's all hinging on the fact that Cora doesn't want bad things to happen to them. Right. But it also kicks off because Cora sides with the North, so it's a little confused as an arc. And and Unalak's a terrible villain, which we said. <laughs> I mean. Right. Um, Ming the Merciless um, Unalak is way better. <laughs> evil Unalak? Evil, evil Unalak and his straight-up Ming the Merciless uh, makeup. Totally amazing. But, but you know, what's interesting is I, 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 so I like these two episodes more than, everything, more than anything we'd seen so far this season. And, Arlo, I think to your point, it's that the side plots this season are actually all pretty fantastic, in my opinion. Yeah, let's talk for a second. I want to talk about Nuktuk. It's in, that's in the next episode, but I want to talk about that. But let's talk about how deeply uninteresting Unalak is as a villain. Who is he? Does he have a personality? What are his motives? I hate him. Uh, well, he, he, he's terrible. I mean, he shows up for a second just to be like, get the, get the Avatar. I was lying when I said I didn't need her. And that's right. That's his entire plot, this, this, these episodes. Yeah, I, I was going to say we actually get the first potentially interesting thing about him in this, but it's not, it's at the beginning of the next episode when, uh, 
when he does something that first has me go, hmm, that's interesting. What uh, what the hell was that about? But I guess yeah. I guess yeah. we'll get to that when we get to the next episode. But um, um, but but I think that like Arlo, to your point about not being super invested in the um the main sort of the mainline story of this season the other side of that that i think is really interesting is that the side plots this season are all fantastic yeah i agree with that yeah like like the mako plot and a lot of them convert are actually all of them are converging which i think is interesting on the most interesting antagonist as we'll find of the series but um the mako um investigation storyline is fantastic the bolin noctuck stuff is pretty fantastic with one thing i'm going to call out later and the asami and her business failing stuff is all really great so you have these like three side storylines that are wrapped up in many ways in important ways into the main storyline like they wouldn't exist without the main storyline so i like that they're not just random side plots like you get sometimes in bad seasons where there's a bunch of side plots that have nothing to do with the main plot and you're liking them but it doesn't help anything it's just that the main storyline of unalak isn't interesting the side effects of the North South civil war are great, but the civil war itself is not very interesting because the, the head of it is bad. I think, um, I think part of the reason why this North South civil war thing is not particularly interesting is I'm trying to figure out what I can say. Uh, while we haven't really, we haven't really seen much of it. We don't fully understand what, the hell it's about i mean unalak seems to have some sort of ulterior motive going on but that hasn't been revealed to us yet um so like right now we're just faced with the the threat of uh, uh a water tribe civil war and we're not really like there's no stakes for us in that if if perhaps katara had been more of a main character i mean we did see her uh last week but if she was more present, if we felt her presence in the Southern water tribe and felt like she was personally in danger, I mean, she is, she's down there, but like, if we felt that more, maybe we'd be a little more invested in this whole civil war thing. But at the moment, it just really doesn't seem that important. We're just, we're told by Cora that it's important. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. just, it's, it's, it's kind of a drag to be honest. Um, Hey, we but it's barely, but it's barely present in these two episodes. I mean, let's be honest. Yeah. It's, it is what we get primarily is Cora trying to get the the um the nation involved, the republic involved, which I actually really like because it gets us information on how Republic City is being run. Right at this point, so even that, even that plot, which is probably the weakest plot of these two episodes, has some interesting things that shake out of it. It's just that you need to keep Unalak off screen. Because he's a sedative. <laughs> he's a sedative. Um, hey, we got... Uh, oh, well, first, I, I meant to say how interesting it is. I don't know if interesting is the right word, but uh, uh, timely, topical, that uh, this episode features a a peace protest, a peace march, including people that, uh, that sabotage the peace march. Oh, wow. Yeah, that... Uh... That's parallel had not occurred to me. Yeah, that's um, when I first when that first occurred to me, I was like, oh, that's interesting. And then I was like, oh, that's, I kind of wish I'd thought of that. So I'm happy to share that with you now that you've got that in your head. Um, but we did get uh, a Sokka statue, a statue, statue, a Sokka statue. Wait, I, why do I always miss these you damn statues? You never see these statues. 
the the peace march, the protest happens out in front of the Southern Water Tribe Cultural Center. And that big, there's the fountain in the front that Cora pulls the water out of to put the fire out. That statue right. was Sokka. He even had Mr. Boomerang and everything. Damn it. I am, why do you even have me on this podcast? I am not observant <laughs> in any way. <sighs> Arlo. Also, hold on. This is random, but this just occurred to me and I want to bring this up. So the previous episode ended with like Eska again, launching herself right. at the gang. And then the, it doesn't pick back up on that. Well, they, the implication is they outran her. Like Varric was like, why? Uh, Bolin said, can you outrun my psycho ex-girlfriend or whatever? And uh, Varric says, why do you think I built this boat? And then they Yeah, but on. I don't know. I just expected with, the, given the note it ended on, I just sort of expected more than, than Eska. I, I don't know. I mean, you got to see her. Uh... Wait, is that this episode or next one when she shows up and her? She's still got the funky mascara. That that's this episode. Okay. So, you, you... so the the other subplot we need to talk about. Uh, oh, real quick, since we had mentioned Raiko, I wanted to mention that uh, he, his voice is provided by Spencer Garrett, who is a character actor who has been in just about everything. Uh, from Dallas and 21 Jump Street to Murder, She Wrote, The X-Files, uh, to movies like Thank You for Smoking, Public Enemies, the Transformers movies. He was on Mad Men. Dude has been in everything. He's one of those guys that if you saw his, if, you, if you Google Spencer Garrett and you see his face, you know exactly who he is. I, well, we'll see about that, Arlo. I'm doing it right now. <laughs> <laughs> you totally know who Spencer Garrett is. Oh, you're right. I do know who Spencer Garrett is. Oh, that guy. Yeah. I, <laughs> that guy, right. I know him. Yeah. All right. Uh, but no, okay. So the other subplot we have to address in this episode is uh, Milo and Pokey. Yeah. So I want you guys to talk to me about this because um, my my notes on it, my, my feelings on it, I'm not particularly a fan of the whole Milo breaks pokey's spirit <laughs> in the name of training him uh stuff uh, just... i knew you wouldn't be but tenzin realizes the error of his ways yeah okay so and and that i was trying to put a positive spin on it i was thinking well okay maybe this is actually more metatextual about tenzin and his role as Korra's teacher maybe this is more of a lesson for right. tenzin than it and is I, for pokey or for for milo i think it's it, it is and i think it's showing that tenzin is trying to push like who he is off on his son and realizing that doesn't work. And I think that ties back into the family drama uh, plot throughout the season. Oh, I said the Bolin stuff was my favorite stuff this season. That stuff's great, but the Bolin family drama is way better. Tenzin. Uh, Tenzin family. Uh, yeah, Tenzin, Ten, Jesus. Tenzin, yeah. Um, and I feel like at one point while watching this or shortly thereafter, I had a really good thought about how the Milo Pokey subplot plays into the main plot of this episode, like uh, thematically, but that's gone now. <laughs> I, uh, I have no idea. I don't know why I didn't decide to write that down when I had that thought. I have all, I have all sorts of dumb notes uh, in here, <laughs> uh, but no, I, I can't, well. I can't remember what the... Eric, do you have any insight? Oh, no. <laughs> oh, okay. I didn't, I didn't think so. All right. Alrighty then. Um, so I, I guess I'm leaving only, this on you. I guess you're, if you're not going to give any insight. 
I guess there's only two more things in this episode um, to mention. Uh, I think we need to comment on uh, the idea storm. The imagination. Oh, God, that was this episode. Yeah, imagination innovation or imagivation. Imagivation. That sounds like a feminine hygiene product. Oh, ouch. Um, yeah, so uh, another great Varric moment. Oh, just fantastic. He eats a hot pepper, flips himself upside down, starts shouting out words, and then suddenly has a real idea, but then forces Julie to run downstairs to take his, like, puppy, orange, pink, whatever nonsense was coming out of his mouth. Radio and get for prototypes. pets. <laughs> and, then, and then come up prototypes on that for by Monday. Like, that's, that's what he wants. Yeah, his ideas were pink, mint, lemon tea, radio for pets, and hand shoes. Hand shoes, that's what it was. Yeah. <sighs> every every Varric moment is a great moment. It really is. Yeah. He's he's what a, what an amazing addition to the series Varric is. Just just wonderful. And every every goofy idea he has, the 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 constant notion that he knows more than his goofiness is indicating that he knows. Like the fact that his goofiness is very clearly a Partial cover, but partially he's also just that weird, which I really like. I like that it's not like it's not easily nudging him into like, oh, all that weird behavior is really just covering up the fact that he's not that weird. But I think he is that weird. It's just it's also a pretty good cover. Yeah. He's that weird and his weirdness lends itself well to to, to his business scheming. He, I think he is totally is totally aware of how weird he is and has learned to use it to his advantage. Yeah, yeah, I agree. People underestimate him, clearly, as we'll find out. <laughs> so, um, yeah, well, uh, uh, the last thing that happens here before we need to move to the next episode is, of course, Cora gets eaten by a spirit kraken. Yeah, that, which is actually a pretty good fight up to that point. Uh, actually, the whole thing was pretty good. Um, the, the stuff with her riding the, like, um, water tornado mm-hmm. as she fought Eska and whatever the brother's name is. Desna. Desna. Pretty good. Pretty good fighting, uh, even though, once again, the animation quality in this and the next episode has some problems. Mm-hmm. The fight's still pretty good. And um, I, I, I'm, I'm a fan of that sequence. Actually, I actually think that episode kind of needed a little bit of fun, and I thought it was a pretty good fight, even if Cora got pwned. <laughs> I mean, I loved, this, I loved the shot where she gets pwned. I love that she she sees it coming. The, the creature, like, opens up its mouth and roars and dives down at her, and she, she you know, puts her fist together and fires this huge flame blast um, into its mouth, but it's too late. She gets engulfed immediately and swallowed. And uh, I don't know. I liked that. I liked that uh, that was the the end of the episode, too. Um, all right. Yeah, so, and then we don't see her again until the end of the following episode. Right, which makes this next episode one of my favorites. <laughs> I'm sorry. Ouch. Uh, all right. Well, let's. Oh man. Let's, wow. I know. I'm. I'm digging this hole. I'm digging this hole. Uh, let's move on to. Uh, oh no, so, no! Wait, wait. Now I have a question. What? Is Cora at least season two? Cora, does she fall into your into the Buffy Summers trap for you? Um, maybe. Although she hits it much earlier than Buffy did. It was. I mean, it was the general Buffy phase where I I really kind of fell out of love with that character. Which I guess that's not actually true. I there. She pushed my buttons before then, but I guess um, this is uncomfortable for me to talk about. I, I suppose that uh, perhaps there are elements of female characters when they reach this phase that I'm not a fan of, 
we could we could dive into that on our therapy wow, episode. I was going to say, yeah, <laughs> but yeah, Doctor Ken Edwards is going to have to do a deep dive on that one, buddy. Perhaps he will, but um, again, Arlo, you don't know where this whole Cora thing is going. Uh, I, I don't. You're right. I just want you to dig this hole as deep as possible. All right, I'm, I'm fine. I'm digging it. I'm digging it. So, yes. So anyway, uh, Chapter 206, The Sting, features very, very little Cora, and I, for one, feel it's a refreshing break. I'll just say. Wow. Wow, I did not expect I did not expect the MRA heel turn oh my halfway god. through this podcast. Oh my god. That right. uh Wow, that is a Shyamalan esque twist if ever there was one. Well, I'm glad I could provide that for you. <laughs> um The trees so made anyway, me do it. Uh <laughs> peacekeepers. Uh th- no, this the has sting. all of the uh the nuck tuck stuff. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it is absolutely beautiful yeah i mean it's got i like how it has the dumb talking animals that that avatar and cora have avoided um the i i don't know what i forget the what kind of animal he has in the serial pabu uh, becomes a, a juji the snow raccoon and naga is rotan the arctic panda arctic <laughs> so- panda so rotan s- says nuck tuckity yep. and then later when Bo Lindis' whole power weakening bit, uh, it gets amended to Nook Terrible. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's perfect. It's so beautiful. I love it. It's uh, what's really brilliant about this uh, Nuck Tuck stuff, and 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 it's, it is going to go on. This is not the only Nuck Tuck thing we're going to see um, in the course of this season. Is that it walks this weird line of both being this really funny send up of old serials. And also this really canny take on war propaganda. Right. And I'm not sure how they managed to pull it off, but as weak as Unalak's stuff is, this is such a brilliant way of handling this kind like a conflict and using propaganda to gin people up into anger over a conflict that, I don't know, like it kind of justifies the plot in a lot of ways to me because it's just really a brilliant idea. It's fantastic. You know, if you think about it, season one of Korra uh, dealt with propaganda, too, um, because Amon and the, the Equalists, I mean, it wasn't it wasn't quite this obvious, but uh, they certainly took advantage of propaganda to to spin everybody against the Avatar. Yeah, well, I, you got you got the um, the sort of like um, the populist rally. Mm-hmm. thing yeah. in in that you know like that was sort of the kind of propaganda push of that like there was like the the pamphlets and the speeches on the thing but then you got the 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 is you is or is you ain't my constituency <laughs> kind of um <laughs> kind of stuff from from oman and now this you have and it's interesting and I, the thing i like about it is that we are more or less on the side of the south like the south has clearly gotten rolled by whatever the north is doing mm-hmm. so Painting the North as bad guys should work, but there's something so over the top about how awful Varric's movies are intending to make the North look that it's kind of hard to get behind it as an effort. And I like that conflict. Mm-hmm. I like the tension in that. The uh, I love the whole mover star storyline for yeah. as long as it runs. Um, I mean, first of all, I just... I'm a fan of those old Hollywood serials, the 30s and 40s, Commander Cody and Flash Gordon and all that stuff. Um, 
obviously there's this fascinating uh, wartime propaganda film thing that we're playing with. Um, but I, but mostly I think it's just awesome that we get to see more of the, the Ember Island players kind of thing that we loved so much uh, in Avatar The Last Airbender. We talked so much about how fun it was to watch them put on the play and all the, the sort of stra- stagecraft that they use. And we get in in this in these uh these nuck tuck things we get the the camera tricks we get the the uh, you know the mural or the whatever the scenery painted behind them and you can see the seams in the different panels and the fake rocks and and uh, <laughs> like when when he water when nuck tuck water bends uh, someone just throws a cup of water on the guy from off camera I mean. <laughs> But I do. Lo- I love the water bending special effects stuff. Like, uh, and I, I, my actually, my favorite moment is the shadow stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. When they step back at, off camera and you get the battle in the shadows, that was. I like the, <laughs> I, I like Nuck uh, Tuck high fiving with uh, Juji and Rotan. The the stuffed yes. hands that come up and high five. Brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> the the, the, uh, so the only thing about this plot, and I, and I know it's it's more or less intentional, but is. Holy hell is Bolin a creep? <laughs> well, okay, you're but it, it is intentional though. Well, and, oh, you know, I'm just saying but he is a creep. Like him kissing Ginger while she was like tied down in character. Yeah. Was straight up creep behavior. There, straight up well, creep behavior. There, there is a there's a line that they're writing here and they, you know, they succeed or or don't to one degree or another, I suppose, um, with how innocent and naive is Bolin. Um, I feel like here he's being played slightly dumber than he was in season one. See, the, the, the fame is going to his head now. Like, he will only answer to Nuktuk. Well, that was, Um, that was him being a dick to Mako. Well, still, uh, he he doesn't know what to do with with being a star, and he suddenly he just he he can't tell that uh, when Ginger is acting, that is different from who she is as a person who's not acting because Nuck or because uh, I, I almost just fucking called him Nucktuck because Bolin uh, is, has this fantasy in his head where he is Nucktuck, the hero of the South. Well, to, okay, well let's think about this. He. Yeah. He, that is a way more generous read than I gave it. <laughs> I think that's fair because they, I mean, they doubled down on him being like genuinely confused. Like after that kiss moment, which, which is creepy. It is obviously it's questionable, but he, he seems genuinely confused. He's like, all right, all right I don't get it. I'm getting mixed signals from you. Like a minute ago, you were really into me and now you're not into me. That's what I mean when I say that they're, they may possibly be playing a little bit playing him as a little dumber than maybe we thought he was in season one. But I just thought of this. He gets into all of this. Like Varric comes up with this idea for the, for him as a mover star because he sees how the crowds react to him at the pro bending thing. So it's, I don't think it's the fame because Bolin has already had fame. He, he had fame as the, as the, in the fire ferrets. Um, I think it's that when he was famous as Bolin, the the member of the Fire Ferrets, he was famous as Bolin, and now he doesn't know how to deal with being famous as Nucktuck because, like, he's never had to separate 
his fame as a character from his fame in real life, I guess. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, it's I th- I do I think that they are playing him maybe a little dumber than is actually accurate to what we've seen with Bolin so far. I, I I'm not sure that it, anyways, I mean, it doesn't it doesn't like it, it it's it makes him a little less likable. I guess is the thing. And Bolin has been generally likable, although he also was kind of a doof when it came to Korra. This just seems like a massive escalation mm-hmm. of his idiocy. And, and so here's why I think it's a little bit weird of a plot line is that they are muddying things by the fact that Ginger is also not particularly a great person. Right. Like Ginger is sort of an obnoxious human being on her own. So it's not like you can be like, well, you know, like, look, he's just like, it's like, so it's, and it's weird. It's like a very weird storyline to me. And everything else about Nuck Tuck I love, but this ginger thing is a little weird. And as I recall, does not end as quickly as I would think it would. So <laughs> well, I think because, we might be... because it's got that romance element and this show can't get enough of the fucking. No, you know, what's funny about the romance stuff though, is sometimes they get it really right. Like I love the way they handle Asami kissing Mako mm-hmm. in this episode because it's just a moment. It doesn't it doesn't bloom into like some massive angsty plot line. It's a misread by Asami who's feeling uh, pretty isolated mm-hmm. and alone and has someone finally helping her. And it really reads as it not even being entirely romantic. It's just that she was romantic with him at one point and is very emotional right. at that moment. Right. So I like that. I actually really like that that's there in the way they overall handle that. So they're not bad with all the romance stuff all the time, but they definitely love, like playing it right now. So yes, Bolin's a creep. <laughs> he's, he's an unintentional creep. Um, he's a Bolin, creep. Bolin he's is, a weirdo. Is, right. he's, he's three months from this going bad and ending up on like the red pill dot com or like one of those other MRA groups where he's going to be like oh yeah yeah she totally friend zoned me and that's what's going to happen well, yeah that's a uh, uh, he'll be posting right alongside Paul I, I knew that was coming yeah. I knew it was Paul's going to be the one who gets him on the board he's going to be like look man I know you're that's, hurting that's why I'm so <laughs> defensive about Bo Lin guys come on jeez <laughs> alright well let's uh, let's there's... bitches right yeah exactly um, speaking of bitches Varric, huh? <laughs> his his heel turn is at one at once saddens me and also makes complete sense because of course it, everything we've seen about Varric is that he plays every single possible angle. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, of course, he would be behind this. And and the thing is, I had forgotten what his actual plan was. I remembered that Varric was behind this stuff. But his play, I thought he was just trying to destroy future industries, but it's actually even cannier than that because it's letting him swoop in and be the hero. He, yeah, he's, he's a war profiteer. I mean, he just, everything he, do, he does is just about like making money. That's, that's all yeah. it is. Like, I don't think he's being, um, I mean, I don't necessarily think that he's being sinister. I think he's just being manipulative. He's, he's yep. using his goofiness to let people misread him. You know who I'm disappointed in through all of this? Asami? Is, no, is Lynn. Oh. Well, Lynn has not had enough screen time to do anything. She is. The only thing worthwhile she has done in this investigation is tell Mako that he got off easy because you should have seen Air Temple Island yeah. when Tenzin broke up with her. Yeah. That's basically the only contribution Lynn has made to Mako's storyline so far, except for basically being the 
cop who's going to pull him into her office and yell at him because the chief is up her ass. That's, that's right. Or the mayor is. That's basically what, what Lynn's thing is. I, she just seems like a smart cop. I don't know what the hell's you got to. He has good evidence. Why isn't she listening to him? Why, why is she listening to the mustache guys? For real. How did those guys get promoted? <laughs> yeah, what is their story? Um, uh, Lynn's a big Edgar Wright fan. <laughs> so I needed some mustache guys. So last week, uh, I, I made a joke about how, you know, this week we were going to talk about the sting starring, uh, Robert Redford and Paul Newman. Um, I thought more about that was just a joke based on the title, but it, this is the first time it occurred to me watching it today. Um, that, I was like, you know, I don't know if this is intentional, but probably, uh, of course it is, because I, I feel like that's why they called it The Sting. But the film, uh, the Academy Award winning film, The Sting, uh, 1973, Robert Redford, Paul Newman, uh, that is, that film is about the big con. Uh, it's about, you know, a con man that, uh, that that pulls off a big con. In fact, the the... The phrase, the sting, actually refers to the moment when the con reveals, when the con successfully, the con artist successfully pulls off the con and takes the mark for whatever it is that he's taking, money or whatever. Um, which I feel is what the moment was when Varric, when, when we discovered that Varric is, <gasps> gasp, the quote-unquote bad guy. When he turns around in that chair and has that shit-eating grin on his face. Um, that was the sting of this yeah. episode. Yeah, that is that that is a good uh, good catch. I I don't know what that means. So so Arlo, you said that uh, it it delighted and saddens you. Why does it sadden you? It saddens me just because Varric is such a delightful character. <laughs> I don't know if I just if I want to think of him as a delightful villain, but I mean I I don't know where this is going, so I don't know how it's going to play out on the show. He's definitely a better antagonist thus far than Unalak. I mean, yeah. He's he's a better villain than Unalak. Come on. Um, the mustache guys are better antagonists than Unalak. <laughs> okay, I we totally at the very very beginning of this chapter, we got the one interesting thing I feel that uh, that Unalak has shown us so far, and that was just that brief little moment when uh, Eska and Desna are waiting for him at the Southern Spirit Portal. And they're like, "Where the hell is he? He said he would meet us here," and then he just casually walks out of the portal. And like Desna is like, were you, were you just in the spirit world? And he's like, we don't need to talk about that right now or whatever he says. I don't remember. But, uh, right. So I, that was just a moment where Unalak got to do something and you're like, what, what is he up to? What the hell was that about? And that's the most interesting thing about him so far. The, the, the two second moment of <laughs> exactly. He, he may have just been doing something interesting off camera. Yeah. 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 yeah there's, Literally, the only interesting thing he did didn't show up on the on the show. <laughs> <laughs> and we're not uh, even sure it's interesting. It might only be interesting because we didn't see it. Right. That's right. very true. We, we may have we may we may have if we had been there, it may have been like, oh god, whatever this spirit world. He's so boring in the spirit world too. He uh, he went to his uh, spirit tax attorney. Oh yeah, <laughs> probably. Even that's too interesting. That's like I think he went to the spirit laundromat. <laughs> and argued over how much starch to put in the robes. Um, hey, I this, this doesn't really apply to these two episodes. Well, I guess it did. We saw a very brief moment of Cora trying to uh, 
what are, what are we calling it? Spirit bending or whatever. Uh, at the, the end of the previous episode when she's being attacked by that Kraken thing, she tried to do yeah. the Unalak thing. Uh, and it Didn't looked work. like, it looked like it was going to, but then the spirit broke out of it. Um, I just, last time, uh, that we saw that I, I meant to comment on it. I feel like every time I've watched this show before, it's never really even dawned on me that that was water bending that was going on. I don't know why I just, it, I guess I've always watched it and thought, Oh, it's just some sort of energy that they're swirling around. But I feel like this was the first watch where I was like, Oh no, that's, that's like water. A water bender has to do that because it's water. And then, so I feel like it's a variation on the waterbender healing thing. Did you guys get that? It That's is definitely, I mean, it de- yeah, it, I mean, it definitely, I mean, it is certainly waterbendery in its, in its style. Mm-hmm. That's definitely the truth. Um, but it's interesting. Like I wonder, I, I do wonder though, is this something that a non, that a different bender could do in their own style? Right. Like a firebender, could a firebender yeah. heal or spirit bend like this? Yeah, maybe. I mean, I think that like I could imagine an airbender doing it. Yeah, maybe that's that's an interesting thought. I just I just wondered if this was because we were told in Avatar that uh, not all waterbenders can heal, um, that only some waterbenders yeah. have that ability. So I wonder if only you know if not everybody would be able to do this sort of spirit bending thing, but that, that, that seems likely to me. Yeah. I mean, I think that we certainly haven't seen a lot of it mm-hmm. and you know, energy bending is its own thing. So you know, these are actually going to say all these specialty versions of bending, like the little subtypes of bending have not been present in everyone. Not everyone can metal bend. Um, not everyone can blood bend. So there, there definitely seem to be, um, subtypes that are specific so would you say that waterbenders may be the most powerful since they have the potential to both uh blood bend and spirit bend yeah i think that blood i think that blood bending thing puts them (laughs) up up at the top oh yeah yeah, yeah. if if the waterbenders had had a crap load of bloodbenders and no morals of any kind the fire nation would not have done very well i was gonna say yeah the fire nation would have gone down yeah they would have put out that fire. Wow. <laughs> Thank you for that, Arlo. You're not allowed to be the person who makes quips on a team of badasses. <laughs> but that's that's always been my role. You don't get to be the Sokka or the Bolin. Yes, your role, Arlo, has always been the person who does not make quips. You're right. That is- <laughs> That'll put marzipan in your pie plate, bingo. Oh, thanks. Wow. All right, so we, we get one last bit of Cora. Cora has to make an appearance in this damn show with her name on the title. Wow. <laughs> so this is really like I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. But not not all podcast hosts, man. Arlo, <laughs> Arlo what did you think about the the cliffhanger or whatever? That she has gasp amnesia? Yeah, that's the one. I don't know, man. <laughs> I think it's going to depend on how it plays out. Okay. I'm not like it, my initial reaction was to kind of roll my eyes a little bit. Yeah, uh, amnesia I, generally is, is not the best thing to go to. I don't remember thinking very kindly of the amnesia stuff, but th- because of the two episodes it leads into, which are two of my favorite episodes of the show. Yep. 
I I think that basically I think my we'll see what my opinion is this time, but I feel like my opinion last time was oh fuck this amnesia stuff. Oh great, we're gonna get some weird episode because of it. Oh these episodes are great, and then I don't even remember how the amnesia stuff plays out. I think it just ends as a result of that those two episodes. So, um, so I actually don't remember how it ends except that it goes away and I no longer thought about it anymore. So. <laughs> You, did you uh, get amnesia about the amnesia you, plot? I did. I, I, I apparently maybe Cora transferred the amnesia to me. <laughs> I mean, I've, I've been saying all along that uh, I couldn't remember this season very well. Maybe this is why. All right. Anything else? Did we? Was there? Did we miss anything? Um, I don't know if we missed anything. I, I, I do think that like by because these episodes are so piecemeal, it's kind of hard to. I think really make clear, I think how good these two episodes were maybe Mm -hmm. like maybe relative to the rest of the season we've seen so far. But I think generally like there is some really fantastic stuff and we actually didn't talk a whole lot about Bolden's operation on the boat and how good that entire subplot was. Mako, you mean? Mako. I'm sorry. Yes. Mako's whole, like the, the actual plot he did on the boat and the amazing like spin kick to cut off the, um, yes, (laughs) <laughs> the the ropes of the boat to go in also the boat chase itself yeah, yeah. also phenomenal the, this season has been a little light on like action sequences uh up to this point uh, we we already commented uh, some of this was a reference uh what was a comment on the animation style and i think some of it is is just the way the story is played out but season 1 was loaded with fantastic like fight sequences and action sequences car chases um this season so far has been a little light but um but the boat chase was fantastic yeah but the animation is still not good and boat chase actually had some great scenes showing it where it looked like um mako and asami were against a green screen when they were on the boat yeah well what was it there was one scene one particular scene and i i can't remember what it was i think it was a mako thing where i was like it really did look like bad green screen. It's like, how do you do that in animation? What the, where does that even come from? I didn't notice that particular yeah, scene. Yeah, like, what's... Uh, but I will say I definitely, I noticed the inferior animation quality overall in these two episodes. I want to try and walk walk back this MRA nonsense that you're hurling at me right now, uh, Arlo, because um, yeah, I, I certainly have my issues with the way Cora is being represented at the moment, but I feel like that's intentional. I feel like the show show has done that deliberately. Maybe that's just me having advanced knowledge of the character, but um, I think we're meant to see that Cora is pretty obstinate and she's a headstrong teenager and that's not Mm -hmm. the best quality. So I think I'm allowed to have those feelings. Uh, I will say one of the reasons why I commented that I sort of appreciate that we got less Korra in these two episodes and virtually no Korra in this second episode is that uh, it, it gave us more time with the other characters. Eric, you just talked about, or you just mentioned that we haven't even really talked about the whole sting operation that Mako put together on the boat. Um, we got a good amount of time dedicated to that. Like there, there was a whole thing about finding out the origin of, of two toed uh, ping or whatever his name was. Uh, like where he gets that name from that, that was time that we wouldn't necessarily have gotten with those characters. Uh, if, if Cora's main plot had also had to be covered in this episode, I think just trimming it down to a few episodes or to a few characters allowed a little more breathing room. 
uh, and, and I appreciated that. I appreciated that we got more of, of Mako and Asami and that we had that whole plot on the boat and the, the boat chase. Yeah, I, I mean, I actually, so I, I like Kor. I love um, Kor's obstinateness. I love her general, um, like, headstrong anger. I think it's actually, I really enjoy the character for that. Um, but it was good for the rest of the show to take her out of it because it develops the side characters a lot. And I think that the, well, actually, as I recall pretty clearly, this the development we're getting on Mako and Bolin especially pays off huge the rest of the show because i remember in season one and two finding mako and bolin fun but not particularly striking and not people that i cared about a ton and i remember caring about them a lot as the show went on and i think it's these plots in the middle of the season and getting cora out and giving some space for that really made a difference yeah cora more like snora (laughs) god this is this the thing that's going to keep happening is this is this what we've become this is I, what I have always been. Oh God! All right. Um, yeah, I, I, there's there's no way to save the show after that. So <laughs> yes, I single handedly ruined the show. <laughs> um, Arlo, now that you've you've burned off all of your terrible uh, jokes and and bad humor, do you want to take a stab at uh, guessing what next week is about? The both episodes are titled beginnings. Um, it's a, it's about beginnings. Come on, come on, <laughs> work for uh, it, work for it. Uh, I, I, I don't know. They're not about endings. This is depressing. <laughs> Jesus. Oh my gosh. Arlo, we just did one of our best episodes of Gobbledygeek and we, that are, was... we are, we are foundering right now. I, well, you're not giving me much to work with beginnings. Where's the, the, the pun in that? Uh, beginnings part one and beginnings part two. Does that help? W- so one of them is a beginning. The other's more of like a middle. <laughs> okay. Wow. There's right. not I, think Arlo a... just, I think Arlo just fired himself from this little <laughs> joke idea. There's not much to work with there, you guys. Oh, excuses, excuses. All right. Yeah, it was pretty... It's pretty bad. I'm. Uh, I really thought thought you could. I thought you could pull it off, Arlo. When have I ever given you the impression that I could pull anything off, Eric? Well, he's you're right about he's that. He's got you there. He's got you there, Eric. <laughs> all right. Well, or, ordinarily I would thank you all for joining us, uh, but uh, I just apologize. I'm so sorry that you've joined us this week. Uh, next week will be better. Um, as always, you can find links to this in all of our past episodes. Um, there have been some good ones uh, at the website, theavatarreturns.com. Uh, links will also be posted on our parent show site, gobbledygeekpodcast.com. You can also subscribe to the show on iTunes to make sure you never miss another exciting episode while you're there. Be a hero and rate us or write us a review. Help spread the word. And if you'd like to contact us, please send your correspondence, care of monkey Yahtzee at tarpodcast at gmail.com. And of course, you can always find us on social media, uh, facebook.com slash the avatar returns or twitter.com slash TAR podcast. And on Twitter, I am at haunt 1013. Eric is at salon. That's S A A L O N. And Arlo is at unplugged crazy. Uh, next week, studio mirror is back guys. Studio yeah. mirror is yeah. back. Huzzah. So, uh, book two continues with the, uh, beloved, and or controversial, we'll find out, uh, two-parter, chapters 207 and 208, beginnings, part one and part two. 
Uh, until then, remember, being famous is like getting hit with a rock all the time. Don't I know it, Varric? Don't I know it?